Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 11 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm really happy to have you here. Whether this is your first episode or you've been roaming the wildlands with us for a while now, the wildlands are a much better place with some company. So grab a seat by the fire, my friends. Drinks are in the cooler over there. Just watch out for my attack chihuahuas. Be sure to keep your absolute cool and do not let them smell fear. On today's episode, we're taking a look at a video game that came into my life once when I was about 11 or 12 and disappeared from my life just as quickly. I didn't generate any lasting memories while playing it the few times that I did, but all it took was one person to mention it, and I quickly recalled it. Memories of beating the shit out of armies of thugs and criminals came rushing back, along with memories of the dark and desolate New York City streets that you trudged through. This week, we're talking about Spider-Man and Venom, Maximum Carnage, released on the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. This game was based on the 1993 Spider-Man comic series of the same name, and really stood out at the time. Several media outlets of the era praised Maximum Carnage, calling it one of the best superhero beat-em-ups of all time. Others praised the game for how well the game adopted the comic book storyline, the soundtrack, and its level of challenge. What are my thoughts on this game? Well, you're gonna have to stick around and let me regale you with my adventures. I liked it a lot and had a great time with it, even going so far as getting a hold of the comic book compilation of the series to study up before diving into the actual game. But as a 38-year-old man with slowly failing finger dexterity, and not nearly the patience I used to have when I was younger, I had kind of a rough go of it. Still, I think my journey with Maximum Carnage made for an interesting episode, and I'm eager to share my thoughts on this game with you all. I get the impression from some of the gamers I talk to that you either love this game or you don't. You'll find out where I land on the spectrum in due time, my friends. Now before we get into the episode proper, it's become sort of a tradition on the podcast to give you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. I always like it when other podcast hosts or other content creators give me a look behind the curtains, so I tend to do that myself before we get rolling. If you're not at all interested in hearing any of that, no worries, just skip ahead in the recording about 5-7 to minutes. I just started adding timestamps in the episode description, so if you want to know the exact time you need to jump ahead, I have that now for your viewing pleasure. Every week we get just a little bit more professional around these parts. Alright, let's get to it. First things first. On our last episode, number 10, we covered the Simpsons arcade game. For the first time, we had a guest on the podcast in the form of my stepdaughter. It was really fun recording an episode with her, and I think it went rather well overall. I have no expectations of making it big or anything with the podcast, and ultimately, I just want to build and leave something behind for when I do leave this world one day. I had visions of my kids listening to the podcast one day, and hoping it would spark a good memory or two. But now, I was able to get one of them to partake in this little journey with me, and it was really cool. So if you haven't listened to it yet, check out our last episode. While checking it out will certainly grow my stepdaughter's ego as she sees the download numbers go up, I'm genuinely curious what your thoughts are on that particular show's format. 
I have some pie-in-the-sky ideas of some episodes I'd like to involve some friends and colleagues with down the road, but was curious how our first outing went. If you feel like leaving me some direct feedback, you can reach out to us on social media. I'm trying to be more and more involved in it every day, even though we don't have a ton of followers at the moment. But if you want to reach out to me directly to offer feedback or just shoot the shit, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find us at Retro Wildland on all three of these platforms. Speaking of social media, I'm trying to think of ways to leverage that for the show more. Some of the podcasts I listen to in my spare time use it as a way for listeners to interact with the show a little more directly, so I'm thinking about doing some stuff along those same lines. I know we don't have a ton of followers right now, like I mentioned, but I'm thinking of letting people comment on the games I'm going to be covering on social, then I'll read their comments when I record the intro to the show. I know I really like it when shows do things like this, and I hope it doesn't come across like I'm stealing their goods or anything, but I'd love to give anyone who wants a way to interact with the show a means to do that. So keep your eye out on social media for that coming up soon. If you aren't following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, now's the time to consider it. Plus, if nothing else, I'm trying to be more cognizant of posting things on there that I hope are mildly entertaining. We have show updates, gaming comics and memes, photos of my adorable puppies, and I just started posting photos of some craft beer next to bits of my gaming collection. So I'm hoping there's something for everybody. Oh, and that reminds me too. For you returning eagle-eared listeners, you may have noticed I changed up the intro to the podcast a little bit. I said, This is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. When I first started this podcast, my original intent was to talk about the games that I grew up with and some modern games that I've played. So far, we have three episodes now where I've played new-to-me games for the podcast based on recommendations or whatever I'm feeling like playing at the moment. Our Castlevania, Metroid Zero Mission, and now this Maximum Carnage episode are perfect examples of this. While I love the idea of leveraging the games I grew up with, I'm having a blast going off script and just playing something new and letting you all know my experiences about it, for better or worse. In this way, I'm truly roaming the gaming wildlands. It feels like the show is just naturally going to go down this road on its own, so I figure I'm just going to embrace that mentality going forward. I have a list of about 100 or so games that I've played growing up and games that I've played recently that I think I can make good episodes out of, but there are still plenty of games that I haven't played. The backlog struggle is absolutely real. I missed out on a ton. And this podcast is going to be my chronicle of my adventures. And you are all certainly welcome to come along for the ride. So now on that note, what have I been playing? With Maximum Carnage wrapped up, I'm continuing with Toe Jam and Earl on the Sega Genesis, and I'm playing Twisted Metal on the original PlayStation. While I've enjoyed replaying Twisted Metal, I don't know if the original game has enough for me to make a full podcast episode out of. I'm actually considering playing other games in the series and potentially doing a show on the Twisted Metal series as a whole. But that may not be for a while, so for now, Twisted Metal is on the back burner. And speaking of on the back burner, I'm going to suspend my replay of Final Fantasy VII for now. I want to do an episode of the podcast on it, but the more I play it, the more my mind goes to Crisis Core, 
Final Fantasy VII for the Sony PSP. Crisis Core is the prequel to Final Fantasy VII, and in case you haven't heard, they are remaking it. It will be called Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion, and it's set to release on December 13th, 2022. I will be buying this game when it launches, and I thought it would be cool to do a podcast episode on the original before the remake drops. I played so much of the original on my PSP, and it was one of the games that convinced me to purchase that little handheld system way back in the day. So I'm going to boot up that one here in a week or so, and chew on that for a bit, and get a show out before the year's end. At least that's my goal. As for some other games, now that the temperature is starting to drop here in Ohio, and Halloween is coming up, I'm thinking scary games. I really don't want to be that podcast that does all the scary games because it's coming up on Halloween, but I can't help what I like. I think I mentioned it last week, but I'm fixing to revisit Dino Crisis on the original PlayStation. It's Resident Evil, but with dinosaurs, and it is as awesome as it sounds. I've also gotten the itch to go back and replay The Last of Us, and I think that game perfectly fits this Halloween-ish mood coming up. Aside from that, I never did finish The Last of Us Part 2, and I need to get that done before I somehow get that game spoiled for me. So needless to say, I have a decent amount of games on my mind. And every time I look through my vast library, I see something else that catches my eye. So who knows, by this time next week, I might have some others on the radar. There's just way too many games to play, but I guess there are worse problems to have, right? So on that note, I think it's time to wrap up the intro and get down to business. Let's talk Spider-Man and Venom Maximum Carnage. Released in North America on September 16, 1994, right after the Maximum Carnage comic series which released between May and August of 1993, we play as either Spider-Man or Venom as we track down Carnage, who is rampaging up and down New York on a massive killing spree with no end in sight. Carnage, who is an extraterrestrial symbiote like Venom, is gathering multiple supervillains to his cause. Supervillains like Shriek, Doppelganger, Demogoblin, and Carrion. Hopefully I pronounced all those names right. Carnage has no plan, however. After killing everyone in the Ravencroft Asylum where he was held, Carnage wishes only to continue killing and to cause as much damage as he possibly can. Spider-Man is going to need all the help he can get in order to subdue this extremely dangerous and unpredictable threat. He'll even have to team up with his old nemesis, Venom, if he wants to even have a chance at success. However, just those two may not be enough to see Carnage defeated. We'll need the help of heroes like Captain America, Cloak and Dagger, the Black Cat, Iron Fist, and more if we're going to be successful. So saddle up, Wildlanders, break out the spandex, fine-tune your spider senses, and get ready for a fight. Carnage won't be going down easy, and it's up to us to put an end to his slaughter.
Ever since I was a wee little nomad, I've had a love for comic books, movies, and video games. Of those three, comic books were the hardest for me to come by and ultimately stick with. Video games usually filled the voids for me, and movies did too. Some comics I did get my hands on were just enough to wet my whistle, but not enough for me to want to dive headfirst and gather up more of them. Cartoons from the 80s and 90s like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the X-Men, and the Spider-Man animated series were more than enough for me to get lost in their worlds. While I've amassed a small, humble pile of comics as I've grown up, it was mainly the old animated shows that got me interested in many of the comic book heroes that we know today. I think it was mainly these shows that made me favor Marvel Comics over DC or any other brand. Thinking about today, there's plenty of superhero content out there now. I believe it was the movie Iron Man starring Robert Downey Jr. that released in 2008 that officially kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. With movies releasing pretty steady over the following decade, there was no shortage of content. But before that, Tobey Maguire starred in Spider-Man in 2002. When you take this movie and combine it with the old Spider-Man animated series, I was pretty flush with Spider-Man content. He quickly became one of my favorite characters. I always appreciated the fact that Spider-Man wasn't just a strong superhero with powers and can do extraordinary things. I liked that he was human, just like me. He was young, trying to make his way in the world, trying to balance going to school, personal relationships, and trying to do what he thought was right. He was humble and naive, but he was raised to do the right thing, even though it may not make sense to do it in that moment. He learned that, with great power, comes great responsibility. It's a little corny to say out loud, but sometimes when I didn't know what I should do in a certain situation, I would wonder what Spider-Man would do. What would Peter Parker do? Spider-Man's stories helped guide me through my childhood in a lot of little ways. As an adult, the stories that resonate the most with me now are the stories where Spider-Man sometimes struggles with what's right and wrong and that fine moral line. I certainly don't relish it when Spider-Man has to find himself at a moral crossroads, but it makes his character that much more compelling and that much more relatable to me. And I think that is a great segue into Spider-Man and Venom, Maximum Carnage. Both the game and the comic book series. I think what enhanced my experience with this game was going back and reading through the comic book series. Though it's not absolutely necessary to enjoy the game, it does enhance the experience quite a bit. Before we examine the parallels here, let's see exactly what it is that we're working with. So, what is this game? Spider-Man and Venom Maximum Carnage is a 2D side-scrolling beat-em-up based on the comic book series of the same name. You play as Spider-Man and your mission is to find and defeat Carnage, an alien symbiote like Venom who has just escaped from the Ravencroft Asylum after murdering just about everyone within and wants nothing more than to sow the seeds of death and destruction all across New York City in the process. I don't remember the actual count offhand, but I believe the game contains around 24 stages where you'll be battling multiple thugs and goons, as well as a mixture of supervillains, all intent on squashing you flat with the sports section of the local newspaper. Spider-Man doesn't go it alone, however. Venom joins you, and you can play as him in some sections of the game as well, but since the game is pretty true to the comics, Venom doesn't show up until a few stages in. 
What makes this game different from other beat-em-up titles is, well, you're playing as superheroes. You can swing your way across the screen, bind your opponents with your webbing, and even crawl on walls. There's a few unique mechanics at your disposal, too, that will give you the upper hand against your enemies. You'll also have a few allies you can call upon to even the odds when things get tough. Allies like Captain America, the Black Cat, Cloak and Dagger, Firestar, and others, so there is no shortage of options when it comes to laying the smackdown on the forces of evil. Now before we get into the game itself, I did want to spend some time talking about the comic series and how it translated to the game itself. When I first started playing this game again last week, I was doing some research on the side and discovered that there was a compilation of all 14 Spider-Man comics that make up the Maximum Carnage storyline. I noticed pretty quickly in the game itself that the story cutscenes in between stages were actually comic panels pulled right from the actual comic book itself. I thought it was really cool, and it made me want to grab the comic series to study up on. Now, obviously, you aren't going to be able to shove 14 comic books worth of story into a 1990s video game, but the comic series made a perfect backdrop and basic story for the game. And while reading the comic series beforehand isn't mandatory at all, it absolutely enhanced the overall experience for me. Like I mentioned before, in the comic, Carnage escapes from Ravencroft Asylum and goes on a killing spree. While Carnage is making his escape, he comes across another inmate at the asylum named Shriek. Shriek is absolutely infatuated with Carnage and can't help but cheer him on as he kills everyone around him. Shriek is eager to join Carnage on his slaughter circuit and asks him to take her along with him. Carnage finds a sort of sick kindred spirit in Shriek and they both make their way out of Ravencroft together. Shriek falls head over heels in love with Carnage and the two of them vow to stick together and bring as much chaos and death to New York City as possible. Very soon after this, they come across who they think is Spider-Man. They rush in to attack, but find that it isn't Spider-Man at all. They've actually come across Doppelganger. Doppelganger is an almost mindless clone of Spider-Man, but much more vicious, sporting six arms, talon-like hands, sharp teeth, and webs it can shoot without a razor sharp, it is anything but our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Shriek immediately takes a liking to the creature, and while Carnage resists at first, he allows Doppelganger to join their group, and the three of them begin their reign of terror upon the citizens of New York. Eventually, the news of Carnage breaking out of Ravencroft and leaving multiple bodies in his wake makes it to the ears of Spider-Man. Spider-Man, who just got done telling his wife Mary Jane he would take a break from being Spider-Man due to how much danger he seems to find himself in, quickly suits up to confront Carnage and go put a stop to him. The story pretty much takes off from there, but what I found most fascinating about this story is Spider-Man's moral conflict at the center of it all. Venom, one of Spider-Man's enemies, also gets wind that Carnage is free and comes to New York City to try and stop him. Carnage was created from Venom, and because of this, Venom feels as though he must destroy Carnage at all costs. Spider-Man understands that he may not be able to defeat Carnage alone, and realizes that Venom is an ally that makes the most sense. However, Spider-Man can't get behind Venom's ultra-violent tendencies, and this causes a huge rift between not only just those two, but the other superheroes that join the fight. 
I really enjoyed this part of the comic book series. Spider-Man was always the type of person to do the right thing, even when doing the right thing didn't make sense. However, Carnage is pure and utter evil, and goes about killing innocent people for no other reason just to cause chaos and mayhem. It's pretty clear that Carnage won't be contained, since he was able to escape last time, and Carnage is playing for keeps. Spider-Man is already struggling with the idea that he just keeps fighting and putting away the same villains over and over at the beginning of the comic series, and how he's faced with an enemy that may not be able to be contained at all. What's the alternative? Well, Venom knows the alternative. He intends to kill Carnage and anyone who gets in his way. Spider-Man struggles with this through most of the comic series, and watching how he struggles with doing the right thing and going against his moral code was probably the most entertaining thing about all of it for me. It's one reason I like Spider-Man as a character so much. Just because he has superpowers or a sense of responsibility doesn't mean he's always going to win the day. There are real consequences and struggles when it comes to the choices we all make as human beings, and seeing Spider-Man struggle with them like he did really captivated me as a reader. I was rooting for him to just go against his code and end the obvious threat to human life, but I also believe Spider-Man was right and that killing is something that should be absolutely avoided. It was an interesting tug and pull as the dark parts of the comic's plot took shape. As Spider-Man hesitated, more people ended up getting hurt and more lives were lost. So at what point do you stick with your moral code or throw it out the window? Now, I could go on, but that's the basic premise of the comic book series. Over the course of 14 comics, this series would play out. About a year after it ended, the video game would make its way to North America. So let's shift gears to the game itself. Normally I'd get into the gameplay first, but I want to talk about the presentation while the plot of the comic book series is fresh in our noggins. So like I said, the entire comic series wasn't able to fit into the game, but the basic premise remains. When you start the game up for the first time, you're met with a comic book style cutscene that shows Carnage making his escape from Ravencroft. All the cutscenes are actual comic panels from the comics transported into the game. Some finer details might be missing, but that does not matter. They look absolutely awesome and they set the stage perfectly. In between each stage, you're given more of the story to explain what just happened and why it is you're fighting where you are. Even though the game dumbs down the overall story considerably, it's still fun to watch unfold and I found this to be the biggest incentive for completing levels and pushing forward. Now if I didn't mention this before, I ended up playing Maximum Carnage on the Super Nintendo and the graphics overall were very much on point for the time. What the Super Nintendo did a little bit better than the Sega Genesis is that the comic book panels weren't just still images. Some of the characters on screen or other objects moved in and out of frame in such a way that it looked like multiple panels were happening at once, if that even makes sense. The in-game graphics, while not perfect perfect, had a very comic book feel to them. Characters animated well enough and you had a good amount of color in them. Now. Remember how dark in tone the comic book story itself was? I felt like the environments of the game helped encapsulate that dark and foreboding tone pretty well. City streets were dark and gloomy, and interior locations were void of any vibrant colors. The only downside to this, though, is that many of the environments started to bleed together, and none of them really stood out compared to the others. 
Some of the environments and stages were reused as you play, so bad sometimes that the game has you going back to your left when normally a beat-em-up has you continually traveling to your right. I remember games like Final Fight would have several different stage backgrounds or areas that changed as you moved. In this game, though, the stages aren't at all diverse and they are not dynamic, so that was just a little bit disappointing. Oh, one small thing about the presentation that I really, really liked. Hitting an enemy would create your typical pow and thwack word bubbles above them, and that never got boring to see, so bonus points there. Now, one thing we can't forget to mention is the soundtrack to this game. In my opinion, the soundtrack is awesome. Now, I might get some flack for this comment, but I'll risk it. While the soundtrack is great, and I loved listening to it, I am not 100% convinced it is the right soundtrack to this game. The band Green Jelly is responsible for this soundtrack. The 90s of all 90s rock bands. Ever hear them? My kids know them. They sang that Three Little Pigs song. If you've never heard of that song, Bounce over to Spotify or wherever you get your music and look it up. It is fantastic. Now, if you've listened to that or already know who Green Jelly is, you're probably thinking one of two things like I did when I first realized that they did the soundtrack to this game. On one hand, I was absolutely stoked. They're a pretty decent rock band and their music is just as decent. I assumed going into the game that they probably did a pretty good job with the soundtrack. But on the other hand, I was confused. When I think of Spider-Man or any other Marvel hero, I do not think of Green Jelly or rock music in general, really. So while I think the music on offer here is pretty good overall, it just didn't seem to fit the game for me. Now I know Carnage is the type of character that just seems like he would lend very well to heavy metal. Keeping that in mind too, it just didn't seem to fit for me. And again, I'm sure it's just an unpopular opinion, but... Ah, whatever. I'd be curious to see what you all think, though, especially those of you who have already played this game before. I could be thinking too deep into all this for all I know, but... Oh, that reminds me, too. While the music is catchy for what it is, there really isn't a lot of it. If I counted right, I only picked out about five unique tracks when you're playing the actual game, and that was about it. Basically, the music was good, but it got repetitive really fast. Okay, let's shift gears to the overall gameplay. There's more I want to touch on regarding the presentation, but I want to leave some of that stuff near the end. Let's talk about gameplay basics. Spider-Man is a pretty nimble character, and that is displayed here fairly accurately. Moving yourself around the screen is very fluid and smooth, and the controls overall are pretty tight. Your basic attack uses your fists, and if you hit the same enemy enough, you'll string together a satisfying combo. You can jump in most directions and attack while you do that. You can even do a backflip that will damage the enemy closest to you, allowing you to get in a free hit and evade to safety, which is essential for some of the boss encounters. You can double tap the directional button forward to dash, and while dashing you can ram your enemies knocking them down, which is excellent for crowd control. Now, what would a Spider-Man beat-em-up be without the ability to use your webbing? Being able to shoot Spider-Man's webbing really expands your toolkit and gives you more options when dealing with your enemies. First thing you can do is shoot a web bolt straight out in front of you. If it connects with an enemy, it will bind them in webbing for a short amount of time. I found this useful to just keep an enemy in place so I could go over to it and start beating the crap out of it unopposed, 
but I actually found more use for this ability when I was being surrounded. I'd toss a web bolt out to someone that was in front of me with that classic thwip sound, and while that punk was tied up for a second or two, turn my attention to the jerk who was coming up behind me. This move wasn't super effective on some of the supervillains you come across, and it's completely ineffective on some larger enemies, so it did have its limitations. Another use of your webbing is the ability to pull enemies towards you so you can grab onto them and start to pummel them. I found myself using this move very often. Some enemies can be pretty quick on their feet, so being able to snatch them up and pull them over to you just like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat was a very useful tool. While this move doesn't work on bigger enemies, you still have to be careful using it. When you're holding on and slapping around an enemy in your grasp, you're wide open to attacks from other goons, so this move is best when no one is around you in your immediate area. It's extremely useful at the end of some stages where you have to fight multiple harder enemies. Once you've narrowed the field down to just one baddie, I would spam the hell out of this move and ease my way into victory. Was it a cheap way to win? Hell yeah, 100%. But you will find that the enemies in this game deserve every bit of this punishment. It may be a cheap tactic, but these assholes are the cheap ones. And we'll get into the finer details of this game's difficulty in just a little bit. So we have the ability to use our webbing, but what would be the point of playing as Spider-Man if we can't use our webbing to swing around? You can absolutely do that in this game, and it is... interesting. You can shoot your web up, and it will allow you to swing over the heads of your enemies. It's pretty responsive and allows for either quick getaways, or you can swing towards a goon and land a hit on them as you're moving towards them. Web swinging is kind of fun, too, and you move around the screen pretty fast while you're doing it. If you can master it, though, it will go a long way in keeping you effective in combat and alive. Oh, and I forgot to mention that you have the ability to cling to and crawl on walls. There's one specific stage in the beginning of the game that requires you to use both of these abilities exclusively to climb to the top of a building. It was a little frustrating at first to figure out, but once I did, I felt like a bona fide superhero swinging from ledge to ledge, and I thought it was a really nice gameplay addition. Other than that, and other than using these abilities for combat, you may come across health boosts and power-ups or extra lives hidden off-screen, requiring you to explore a little bit in between battles. So if you have a second after a battle, it would behoove you to climb up and down the walls or swing around a little bit and see if there's anything hiding just off-screen. One last web skill you have is the ability to make a shield. While it's kind of cool in theory, I never use this ability. Using the shield requires you to stand still, and I learned pretty early on that mobility is key in this game. When multiple enemies are on screen, their default behavior will be to surround you and beat you down from both sides. You may be shielded from the front, but you won't be able to watch your back very effectively. I made it a point to either use my webs to immobilize the enemy, or use them to increase my mobility. As long as I was mobile, I had a much better chance of staying alive. Keeping true to the comic source material, we have the ability to fight alongside other heroes by calling them in via a striker system of sorts. As you progress through the stages, you'll come across these tokens that you can collect that have the faces of superheroes on them. As long as you have a token for that hero, you can call them in at any point. They'll come onto the screen and lend a hand, 
usually by laying waste to any enemies or bosses on screen. One thing I did notice, some of the heroes will actually behave differently depending on if you called them as Spider-Man or called them in as Venom. The Iron Fist is the one example that really sticks out to me. If I call him in while I'm playing as Venom, he flies in and drop kicks all the enemies on screen dealing some pretty decent damage, which is nice. If Spider-Man calls him in, the Iron Fist will drop in and heal Spider-Man up, restoring some health. I thought this was a really cool touch, and it harks back to the comic books a little bit too. Other heroes don't show up until they would normally in the comic, and they all react differently to either Spider-Man or Venom, so I assume that's the reason for the change in their tactics depending on who called them in. All in all though, this striker system is an absolute necessity in order for you to succeed at this game. There is no way you can make it on your own. And with that, I think I've laid out most everything we're working with from a bird's eye view. Now I want to get into where I think this game stumbled a little bit for me. So for the next few bits, the nostalgia glasses are coming off and I'm just going to give you my opinions on some overall gameplay that I experienced. Now, I mentioned before that the comic book series was a huge inspiration for a lot of what happens in the game. I was really excited when I learned this and saw how the game developers formed the game world and its mechanics around it. But once I finished playing, it hit me that I think they went just a little too overboard to the detriment of the overall experience. Hopefully I can make some sense of that. First up, let's talk about co-op. Actually, what co-op? For a game that has Spider-Man and Venom featured as prominent characters, this is a one-player game only. Anyone who's ever played a beat-em-up style game will tell you one of the best features about those games is the ability to play with your friends. So why no co-op here? From my perspective, I think the developers really wanted to stick with the comic book story to a T. In the comic, Venom isn't introduced until the third issue, I think it was. And once he does join the storyline, he rarely fights alongside Spider-Man with the exception of some of the bigger encounters. So I guess that's why there's no two-player option here. While I respect staying true to the source material, it's a huge missed opportunity. I think they would have been able to tell the story they wanted while having a two-player experience. Now, there are parts of the story you can choose to play as Venom instead of Spider-Man. They both operate relatively the same, but the draw is you'll be able to see stages as one hero that you wouldn't be able to see as the other. That does give the game a bit of replayability, but not too much. I just think taking away choice from the player is a bit restricting. Again, I love that the developer stayed so close to the source material, but it was almost too restricting in a game that I'm used to being able to play with friends, or at least choose who I can play as anytime I want. Now speaking of staying too true to the comics, let's talk about the boss encounters. Any time in the comics where Spider-Man faces down any of the main villains in the story, you're going to fight them in the game. So be prepared to fight Doppelganger, Shriek, Carrion, and Demogoblin a lot. Oftentimes, you're going to have to fight them all at once. As the game progresses, they tend to have much more health, so they won't go down nearly as easy as they would in the earlier stages. Now, in most other games, bosses tend to follow specific attack patterns, or they telegraph their attacks in such a way that, in practice, you can learn how to approach them and eventually defeat them. In Maximum Carnage, 
all the main villains behave really randomly to me. Now granted, Doppelganger and Shriek, for instance, use the same types of attacks most of the time, I just couldn't seem to find a pattern with what they use or figure out what move was coming up next to effectively dodge or counter them. Boss fights just feel like a war of attrition where I'm just trading blows and there's no real strategy to be had. It's disappointing and very frustrating as the game moves on. So on the topic of boss encounters, the game does include boss fights where you're fighting generic goons and thugs, just more powerful versions of them. Some of these fights, though, are just ridiculous. You have your massive overweight goons who are surprisingly nimble for some reason, and you have the Girl Scout-looking females that can hit you at longer ranges by whipping their hair at you, and then there's even these geeks with umbrellas that come after you. Pfft, umbrellas? What? At some point in the comic, though, the citizens of New York do start to go a little crazy. I think it's a byproduct of Carnage's overall madness that's leaking into the minds of everyday people, which is a fine reason, I suppose. And to keep true to the comic, there isn't a big fight with supervillains in every issue, so having boss fights with a bunch of randos makes sense from that standpoint. But I gotta say, umbrellas? Ugh. Now for the sake of my next points, we'll leave the comic book narrative alone for now. There are some gameplay design choices that left me scratching my head a bit. First, the game's overall difficulty. Holy shit is this game hard. When I booted this game up to refresh myself with it, I lost almost all my lives at the end of the third stage. Third stage out of 24 plus. At first I thought I was just rusty, or I wasn't using the gameplay mechanics to my advantage. But the more I played this game, the more I realized, no, it wasn't me. There's just a difficulty dial that somebody accidentally set to 11 and then broke the dial. I found myself frustrated quite often with this one. Now, I think we can all appreciate a hard game, especially when you master a game's mechanics or you can employ strategies against certain enemies or situations. But none of this was possible for me. Granted, I did become more deadly and evasive by using the web-slinging abilities and always remaining mobile, but there were just times I was going to be hit by an enemy and there was nothing I was going to be able to do about it. One boss encounter that stands out in my mind is the Muzzoid enemy in the lab area you visit more than halfway through the game. This brick shithouse is a robot-looking thing that's twice your size and very difficult to jump over or swing past. All it has to do is hit you two or three times if your life bar is full, and that's enough to take you out. And something this big is surprisingly fast. It barely telegraphs its moves, it's immune to your spider webs as far as I could tell, and hitting it doesn't stop it from moving towards you. The sound it makes when you hit it is really like you're just pounding your fist up against a metal drum. It never felt like you were actually damaging it. I started to think, maybe there's a strategy that I need to deploy that I'm just not seeing. I tried differing approaches, different tactics, different movesets, and eventually I did take it down, but I never felt that sense of accomplishment when you finish a tough fight. I actually felt kind of cheap. The tactic that did work was just me dashing towards it, shoulder ramming it, backflipping away, and repeating. It took forever to kill doing it this way, but I eventually did. It was just a very disjointed encounter. I died here so many times and had to restart my whole run through several times because of this boss. 
after about the seventh time of restarting the game and getting to this point, I was considering quitting the game altogether. Luckily though, I persisted and carried on and eventually beat it. I was not happy about it though. The difficulty in Maximum Carnage gets further compounded by some interesting choices I thought the developers made in some of the other gameplay elements. Most of the other beat-em-ups I've played allow you to use a continue if you have one and get right back in the fight, right where you died continuing the level. If you have to use a continue in this game, you'll go all the way back to the beginning of the stage that you were in. That was very frustrating for me, especially if you died in a boss encounter, then had to play the entire level all over again. Maybe I'm just bitching and I just suck at this game, but that annoyed the hell out of me. Oh, and how you heal yourself is another matter altogether. In most other games like this, you can find destructible items in the environment. Boxes, trash cans, steel drums, things like that. Inside, you might find a health item like a chicken leg or something just as appetizing. In Maximum Carnage, health power-ups are usually found after you defeat an enemy. The problem here is, the action is so fast-paced and you're trying to stay mobile, you're going to pick up a health item when you didn't mean to, guaranteed. The nice thing about breaking open an item in the environment is you're choosing when to expose that power-up and when to use it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time did it a little bit different. Pizza power-ups were already lying out for you to grab, but they were obvious and you had a better chance to avoid them until you needed them. It was nice to see them coming up ahead of time too so you could plan out how to use them. So if you were taking some extra hits, it's fine. You got a pizza power-up waiting right there. You don't have to hope an enemy's going to drop it. If Maximum Carnage took either of these approaches, I think it would have gone a long way in reducing the overall difficulty. Power-ups in this game are few and far between, and you'll often grab them when you don't mean to. Again, maybe I'm just bitching over nothing, but I would moan out loud every time I grabbed a full health pickup when I was already at full health. Such a waste. Now, I don't want to end this episode with all these downers. All in all, there's some good to be had in Maximum Carnage, and even a little genius hidden deep within. So allow me to tie it all together as we get set to wrap up my experience with the game. Even though this game came out 28 years ago, the visuals and sound design hold up pretty well today, if I'm being honest. The story cutscenes steal the show for me overall. Digitizing the actual comic book panels from the comic books themselves was a great touch, and I liked how this was how the story unfolded for me. Since I was fortunate enough to buy the compilation and read it before playing the game, it was pretty cool seeing scenes translated into the game, and I could be like, ooh, I remember that panel. I have to imagine that's one of the biggest reasons this game has such a nostalgic following. Other than the comic panel cutscenes, the gameplay itself does look really good. Spider-Man and Venom themselves are animated really well, and they have pretty good details for the time. Combine that with the decent detail in the stages you play through, and the game does have a pretty good comic book style feel to it. I'm sure there are games that came out around this time that had better graphics on offer, but what was here really fit the comic book aesthetic, and I really appreciate it for that. The designs of all the other characters I felt could have used a little bit more polish. Sheik looks very disproportionate, and Carnage doesn't look as menacing as I was hoping he would in-game, but I am nitpicking here. Sorry, nitpicking is like my old man's superpower now. 
even though the game doesn't have a co-op element, I did want to shout out the Superhero Striker ability one more time. Not only was being able to call in other superheroes to fly in and either cause massive damage to the enemy or potentially heal yourself, it was just really cool to see all of those characters come to life in the game itself. I'm pretty sure every superhero that helps Spider-Man and Venom in the comic itself was present as a striker character in the game. Seeing them in their 16-bit glory was awesome anytime I called upon them. I may not be up on most of the characters like I am Spider-Man and Venom themselves, but I loved seeing them anyway. Black Cat was really cool to see because I remembered her more from the Spider-Man animated cartoon than anything else. I know of most of the other characters like Iron Fist, Cloak and Dagger, and of course Captain America, but after playing this game, I started to get the itch to go find out more. Now I might be throwing some blasphemy around, but I have never heard of Firestar or Deathlock before playing this game, and I am eager to learn more about them. Still, all of this to say, it was absolutely amazing to see all of them crammed into this tiny little cartridge so they could have their moment to stomp on evil. Now even though I already got done thrashing this game for sticking with the comic book source material too much earlier, I do want to say that I like that aspect about this game as well. While sticking too close to the comic tends to handicap the gameplay experience in some ways, I have to hand it to the developers for really sticking to their guns when it came to translating the comic to the overall gameplay experience. It's very obvious they took the actual story into consideration when making this game. We can see that in the comic book style cutscenes, but when it translated to the gameplay itself, I found myself almost impressed. While each stage you play isn't an exact copy of what's happening in the story, the game does follow the story's path. Example, you can't play as Venom right away because he doesn't show up until after Spider-Man meets up with Cloak and Dagger. You can't call in a superhero ally as a striker until they've been introduced into the comic book story. And it's this reason why you can't really play this game as a co-op title since Spider-Man and Venom aren't always with each other in the comic book run. There are a lot of games out there that take inspiration from source material, but Maximum Carnage becomes one with the source material. Reading the comic, then playing the game, really put this in perspective for me, and I have to imagine that's another reason there are so many out there that really hold this game close as one of their favorites, like I said. They probably read the comic book like I did way back in the day, then jumped into this game when it was released and got to see all the similarities come to life on their screens. Now while the gameplay is pretty difficult, and can be somewhat rage-inducing, there's just something about it, and I had a very hard time quitting it, and I think this is where the genius part of my earlier comment comes in. When it came right down to it, I had genuine fun when I was playing Maximum Carnage. For a Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis era game, you had an incredible amount of gameplay options and abilities to work with. Fighting with your character was very responsive and snappy. Once I got used to using my webbing, it became a staple in my arsenal and greatly increased my combat abilities and versatility. It felt fluid and fun to lash out and pull an enemy towards you and pummel on him for a little bit. While I was holding an enemy, I could toss them like a bowling ball at other enemies, knocking them down and dealing damage in the process. You would get beat down pretty quick if you focused on just one enemy. You had to find ways to attack them all evenly, and your ability to toss enemies and interact with them with your webbing gave you a lot of these options. Once I got myself into a rhythm, 
I would do things like four hit combo one bad guy, pull another thug towards me with my webbing, beat on his face for a second, then toss him behind me where another thug was trying to sneak up on me. Then I would spider swing away from another approaching enemy, tie up another, wail on him, things like that. It was very fluid and very fast. Spider-Man is agile by nature and not really meant to go toe-to-toe with an enemy. If you can embrace that about his character and incorporate it into the gameplay, you'll really find yourself starting to get farther and have a good time while you play. When it was all working out for me, I did have a genuine smirk on my face as I defeated a group of goons without getting a single scratch on me. It's just too bad that the massive difficulty spike doesn't allow for you to keep that momentum up indefinitely. I'm sure I could get better at this game if I just put more time and effort into it, but I think I got what I was looking for out of this game. I had a solid time and got to read a pretty cool comic book storyline. I'm pretty content from my perspective. Will I ever play this game again? Probably not. But I will say, I am very glad I went back and gave this game a chance. Spider-Man and Venom Maximum Carnage is not a perfect game, but what it tries to do here, it does very well. There was a genuine passion put into this game, and the source material was respected above all else. More than anything though, I see nothing but potential here. This game could have been so much more. But even though it fell short in some ways, I think this game is good enough to stand with some of the heavy hitters of the time. If you haven't played it before and have the means to, I think you'll have an alright time if you decide to give it a go. Good video games do a good job of removing you from your everyday reality and putting you in an extraordinary situation, and I think Maximum Carnage did this well. Becoming a superhero is very possible within this game, and you get to team up with some of the greats. Just be ready to get your ass beat thoroughly and often. But do as Spider-Man does. When he gets knocked down, he gets right back up. And if you put in the time and the effort, I think you'll get something really good from this game. That is our show, everyone. Episode 11 of the Retro Wildlands, Spider-Man and Venom, Maximum Carnage. Thank you very much for listening to the show today, everyone. I really appreciate it. And a huge shout-out to my buddy Tim over on our Facebook group for mentioning this game a while back to me. I had a really good time going back to this game and enjoy the time I spent with it. I really liked going so far back as to reading the original comic book storyline, too. It was absolutely well done. I know you and many others really hold this game in high regard, and I can absolutely see why that is, so I hope I didn't shit on the game too terribly bad. I really did enjoy my time with this one. If any of you out there like the show, please consider leaving a good review on your podcasting platform of choice. Better yet, spread the word to your friends, family, or anyone else who might like the show. Every week, our download numbers are slowly increasing, and user retention rises just a little bit too. While I'm probably starting to get a little obnoxious over on social media, 
It's going to be word of mouth that's going to help us grow, especially while we're so young. So if you want to support the show or myself in any way, consider letting others you think may like the podcast know about it. And here's an idea. Try talking about the podcast to that guy or gal that you really like. Nothing says icebreaker like talking about a video game podcast, right? Nomad and the Retro Wildlands are not to be held responsible if your attempt to pick up someone fails miserably at the mention of this podcast. And speaking of social media, you can again find us over on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Retro Wildlands. I'm trying to find organic ways to grow our presence over there, so if you haven't started following us, please consider it. I'm still working out how best to use it for the podcast, but if you enjoy pictures and videos of video games, puppies, craft beer, and the occasional meme, there's something for everyone over there. Social media is also the best place to get a hold of myself, so if you want to give me any direct feedback about the show, or you just want to talk, slide into my DMs, as it were. So what's coming up next week? More than likely, I'm going to be talking about Dino Crisis for the Sony PlayStation. The more I think about it, the more I want to go back and play it, and the more I want to talk to you all about it. I've played it over and over again when I was younger, and I think it's going to be a great game to tee up October as we move towards colder weather, longer nights, and Halloween. Plus, it's Resident Evil with dinosaurs. It's going to be fantastic. If Dino Crisis doesn't work out next week, I have a few others in the wings I'm ready to jump on as well. Just head on over to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for all the details. Yeah, it's a cheap way for you to go follow me, but hopefully it works? Anyway, thank you all again for joining me in the Wildlands today. I'm looking forward to getting back together next week and share more stories and experiences. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. (laughs) 